Hello there, this is Kevin Pascal and you're tuned in to another episode of the Hinted Neuron Podcast. On today's episode, you hear me talk with Johnny Crowther. He's the CEO and founder of Copnote. We talked about mental health and dealing with issues around mental health. This episode is also sponsored by Copnote, a service that helps you build a better brain. They send you daily text messages to give you daily mental health support. If you have someone who has ever felt with loneliness, depression, and also anger issues, because let's face it, guys, most of us, we deal with depression, we deal with loneliness day by day, and we always feel there was someone in the world who sees us. So Copenote is a service that sends you daily text messages at random times in a day to inspire, to encourage you, and to make you feel seen and not alone. If you use code HINTEDNEURON, that is H-I-N-T-E-D-N-E-U-R-O-N, at checkout, you get a 10% discount and also $5 goes to HINTEDNEURON as a way to support this podcast. If you love this podcast, please leave a review of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and share my episode with your friends. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, don't forget to reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Interneuron. And now, here's my conversation with Johnny Crowder. I'm here with Johnny Crowder. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, brother. Yeah. So, I... I guess a good place to start in our conversation today would be because I, I, I was checking out your app and your website. I, I, I found it to be a really, really cool idea and, you know, something that I've not really seen at all in any other place. I just want you to highlight your thought process, you know, what ideas brought Cope Notes to life and the whole, the whole company. Well, basically I, you know, I grew up with a number of mental health conditions and I was in treatment for a while, but I was realizing that I had a few big issues with um, a lot of the resources that I was turning to. Like some would require me to schedule an appointment and I didn't always know what my schedule would look like. And then uh, some things would require me to download an app and then, um, you know, apps use all of your personal information and data. Um, they have access to all of that stuff. And then a lot of things, even if it was a great resource, if I didn't, um, if I didn't pick it up or use it that day, let's say I was busy or it was my birthday or I was out of town and I would forget, um, they weren't really helping me. So I wanted to build something that could actually reach out to people and initiate that. So not only was it addressing a lot of the issues I had with other resources, but it was addressing the issue in me of me being inconsistent when trying to get healthier. Yeah, I think that was really interesting. I I want you to because you talked about your own um your own bits of suffering with mental health. I, I want you to highlight, you know, your own story. Maybe I will give you time, just paint a little picture for us. Your own story growing up and dealing with these struggles. Yeah. I you know, it's weird looking back. Uh when I was growing up, I kind of figured that everybody kind of felt like me. I figured that everybody um, had the same struggles. And as I got older, I started realizing that um, maybe what I was dealing with was a little different from other kids, but I grew up in an abusive household. So pretty much out the gate, I had a skewed understanding of what normal behavior was. And I was experiencing um, a lot of self-harm. I was gauging in, engaging in self-harm and disordered eating. And um, Definitely, probably my most pronounced um, 
diagnoses were schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and OCD. And there were a long list of others, but um, I remember thinking that it, it very slowly got to a point where I couldn't live my everyday life anymore. Like very simple tasks were extremely difficult, like uh, making a sandwich or something or brushing my teeth. It became so challenging to just engage in these daily tasks that um, it was really kind of a miserable existence. I know that sounds really harsh and tough, mm-hmm. but I was, I was miserable 24 seven. So I'm very, very thankful um, that I'm not living that way anymore. And I'm very thankful for every single um, part of treatment that I engaged in, whether it was something that I appreciated at the time or something that I thought was um, annoying and pointless. I think overall, I'm very thankful to live the life that I live now, considering the way I grew up. Yeah. What was, to you, what was the most darkest moments at the time? Like in your own experience, what really took a toll on you? at that moment um i don't know it was definitely a really dark like 20 something years uh pretty much the whole time but one thing does stick out i remember i was talking to a girlfriend of mine at the time and she i dropped her off at her house and went to get out of the car and she started crying and i was was totally confused as to why she was crying and i was like what's wrong and she said well it's just scary to date someone when you don't know if they're still going to be alive the next day. And I think that was a moment that kind of woke me up and made me realize that um, my mental illness is affecting more people than just me. And it was definitely a shock to my system because I always figured, you know, if I feel crappy, that's just on me. And if I want to hurt myself, that's just on me. And it, when I realized that it was also hurting uh, the people that I loved and the, the pretty much the only people who I cared about and were supporting me, it really made me rethink um, whether or not I should prioritize mental health and then to the extent that I would pursue uh, recovery. Yeah. When, when, when you start prioritizing mental health, what, what do you think made you see the light? I think what I'm trying to ask is what was the first steps you took, the very beginning steps you took towards good recovery and good mental health? Um, I can't, I mean, I can't really take credit for the steps that I took. Uh, I feel like I was kind of shoved in a direction. I took some steps, but definitely looking back, I think therapy was the biggest step because that was, that was what I had the most resistance towards. I was, I did not want to see a therapist. I did not want to see a counselor. Um, I was so resistant to it. And, Actually, there was something really illuminating about being diagnosed formally and realizing like, wait, I can go home and read about this stuff and learn about it. It's not just this imaginary stuff that's in my head. It's real science. It's real health, just like anything else. So my first steps were, I was kind of forced into therapy, but it really did help me. And I also started reading a lot just on uh, Google and I I started taking psychology courses at school, but there's a lot of free um, resources out there online where you can just Google about mental health and search your specific conditions and just equip yourself. And I think the more that I learned, the less afraid I was to engage in treatment because I knew that 
it would help me. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because you, I understand you are a psychology person, right? I went to school for psychology. So I do want to clarify, I'm not a doctor or anything, um, but I do have a psychology degree from a university. I just, originally I wanted to be a clinician, but when I started doing peer support, I realized, um, you know, I don't want to stay in school for another 10 years. I want to start helping people ASAP. Yeah. What what do you think, because maybe on, or in a psychology perspective, what do you think are some of the things about mental health and depression that people don't really know about or maybe just people take for granted? Well, a few things. Uh, one statistic that kind of really makes people's eyes go really wide and their jaws drop is depression is actually the leading cause of disability worldwide. A lot of people don't know that. And I think that's because... The way we look at depression is we have this very, we do this with all corners of mental health, but we have this image in our mind where depression looks like, you know, you're, you're not talking to anyone and you're uh, wearing your sweatpants on your couch and you haven't gone to work in three days and you're eating a gallon of ice cream out of the container or something. We, we all have like some sort of image of what depression looks like. And the fact is it almost never looks like that. There are people going to work every day who are experiencing symptoms of depression and whether or not they're diagnosed, whether or not they're taking medication or anything like that has nothing to do with whether or not they're experiencing symptoms. So I think in direct answer to your question, one of the things that people most commonly misunderstand is that um, only some types of people experience um, mental health related complications in general, because I don't care if you have a diagnosis or not. You've probably been depressed before. You've probably been anxious before. You might be right now. And I don't think anyone needs a doctor to sign a piece of paper that says that they have that diagnosis for people to start working on it. Like, I don't think you need anyone else's green light to start prioritizing your mental health. You can do that now, whether you have a formal diagnosis or not, and it will benefit. Yeah. So, I think that that would be a good point to go back to the app, your app Cope Notes, and let, talk, let's talk about um, what the app could do for you know people in general in society dealing with issues, or even if they are not just dealing with anything at all, you know, because I I still feel like you don't have to be dealing with some kind of illness before you could just get positive random thoughts in a day, but. L- l- Let's talk about your app for a few minutes. Yeah. Basically, Cope Notes uses daily text messages to improve mental and emotional health. So we have people who are living with diagnoses like me who are using it. We have people who have never been diagnosed with anything in their whole life who are using it. And um, we send text messages every day at random times. And these messages are written by peers with lived experience and they are approved, reviewed and approved by a panel of mental health professionals. So whether we're sending a psychology fact or advice or encouragement, um, it's all of the content is perfectly designed to address all of these corners of the human psyche. So we're not addressing certain diagnoses or anything. We're addressing like I mentioned before, doubt and fatigue and stress and grief. And all of these things that we feel on a daily basis. And the way I explain it to people is, um, you know, what a toothbrush and floss is for your dental health, Cope Notes is for your mental health. So 
for people right now who might say, you know, I don't live with a mental health diagnosis, so I don't need to use a mental health resource. And that's kind of like saying, uh, my teeth are so white that I don't need to brush them. It doesn't really make sense. Like you're supposed to do things every day to maintain your dental health. And it's the same, the same is true for your brain. I, I genuinely believe that you should be doing at least one thing, if not more, every single day to make sure that you are building your brain to be stronger and healthier. Yeah. I, I, I want to understand you because I think this partly related to the first question I asked. How did you go from you know, someone who was diagnosed to someone who built an app that could solve, that could start solving some issues around depression and those related illnesses? I think I, so when I was first diagnosed, I spent kind of, I spent the first year just railing against my diagnoses, acting like they didn't exist or, or fighting and resisting them. But then eventually when I started coming to terms with them and started reading more, I thought, wow, I want to take psychology courses and I want to become a clinician to really help people. But, um, when I was in, when I was in college, actually at university, I, I, Actually, I threw a comedy festival with a bunch of my friends and mm. the, it was a benefit for a local comedian who had died by suicide. And uh, all of the money that we raised went towards uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And that was the first time I'd heard of them. So I heard them on stage accepting this big novelty check and they sharing about the power of peer support and public advocacy. And I was like, wait a second, I always thought I had to be a doctor to help people with their mental health. You're telling me that I could do something right now? And uh, the woman who accepted the award, Rosemary, was like, yes, absolutely. Here's my email. So that was the beginning. That was in 2011. And that's when I really started understanding the power of peer support and public advocacy. So over time, I drifted away from the idea that I needed to be a clinician and drifted towards the idea that I can do tons of things to help other people right now and then just partner with clinicians instead of becoming one myself. So it was actually a very gradual change. But looking back, I'm so glad that I went the peer support route because if I hadn't, I would still be in school. I wouldn't have time to do any advocacy at all. Mm. You talk about peer support now, but, but I, I, I think this is sort of a personal question too. Because I, I still feel like much of what we go through, uh, much of depression and mental health issues, they, they are sort of, they kind of escalate due to loneliness. And, you know, this idea that nobody sees you in the world or that you are all alone. What, what is your own opinion on that? Because I still feel like um, loneliness plays a huge part in these issues. And because, and you now you talked about Peer support. Why your own thoughts on loneliness? Yeah, I think that's the one. You know, peer support helped me in a lot of ways, but I think maybe the way that was most immediately noticeable, like it didn't take me a long time to process, was it, it addressed the loneliness in me. This idea that I was the only person who was experiencing this, or that there was something wrong with me, that I was screwed up, and then. I would sit with um, a peer with lived experience. This is someone who has been through something similar to what I've been through or someone who has a friend or family member 
who has experienced this. And all of a sudden it went from me feeling like a crazy person to the other person saying, Oh, me too. Absolutely. And instead of me sharing something and then like bracing for impact and expecting the other person to judge me, I would share something and they'd say, you know, the same thing happened to me. And here's my version of the story. And it was so eye opening because you read statistics like, um, you know, ha- almost half of all Americans will face mental illness at some point in their lifetime. And you read a statistic like that and you think, wow, that's one in two people, like every other person. But then if I walk into a grocery store, I don't think, wow, every other person in this grocery store is experiencing the same symptoms as me. Those are the facts. The The problem is it's hard to take statistics and then apply them to reality. But peer support allows you to realize like, wow, it's not just me. It's all the people in this room. It's all of their families. It's people in my family and my coworkers and my friends. And it really kind of um, changes your mentality from one of complete isolation where you are like uh, this one of a kind freak of nature, which is what I felt like to feeling like you're, you really are part of a community and you're just, you're just feeling parts of the human experience. What, what do you, what do you think do? Because right now you, you're using coconuts to solve an important issue. And I, I still feel like, um, this is technology being used to solve an issue. Uh, what do you think could be done, you know, more on the side of, you know, using technology to solve issues like this in your own opinion? You know, this might not be the answer you're looking for, but I think what I've seen in um, modern technology is that we've kind of lost the point of what we're trying to accomplish. So I know a lot of people are running really amazing uh, companies and they're doing really technologically impressive things, but they are almost more focused on being like using cutting edge technology than they are actually serving people with it. And in my mind, it, it doesn't matter how complicated or fancy the technology is. It matters, you know, the type of impact that it's making. So I'm a big fan of leveraging technology in favor of health and to help people who might not have access to um, other types of care. But at the same time, a big reason why Cope Notes just sticks with text messages is because like, why would you want to create you know, a virtual reality mental health resource? Just for example, if like 99.9% of people in the world don't have access to a virtual reality system, like it just doesn't make sense. So I, I definitely think using technology to address health concerns is crucial and important. But I think that we also need to balance that and make sure that we're keeping our um, like enterprising tech dreams in check so that we're not accidentally compromising the end user because we want to be fancy and high tech. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And w- what are your own perspectives on um, social media too? Because I still feel like much of the divide and depression and, you know, this idea that everybody has it better than you is, is I think people really get this much idea from social media. What are your own opinions on that? I 
you know, someone, when I was first starting to build Cope Notes, someone said, well, why don't you just make a, make it a Facebook page or why don't you just make it an Instagram page or something? And instead of running a business, you could just post something positive every day. And, um, part of the reason that I said no was because that wouldn't be nearly as effective as what we're doing now. But that's besides the point. In answer to your question, one of the components of that decision to not do that was based in the idea that we don't want to encourage people to spend too much time on social media. So I use uh, Facebook and Instagram personally. And I also use LinkedIn. And I do my very best to use it sparingly, to use it as a tool. And uh, there's this movie uh, documentary that came out recently called The Social Dilemma um, that I encourage everyone to check out if they haven't yet. But it's about uh, social media and some of its negative effects. And I am not saying that people need to delete their social media, but I definitely think that people should rethink their relationship with it because um, they made a really good point in that documentary. They said something along the lines of a tool is something that you use for a purpose, like a hammer. You pick up the hammer to build a house or something, and then you put it down. Mm -hmm. The hammer doesn't tell you what to build or when to build it or anything. It's just a tool. And if we use social media as a tool, just like that, then we should be fine. But if imagine if you carried that hammer everywhere and you were the hammer told you what to build and when to build things, all of a sudden it's not a tool. So I think that we just need to be very careful about how we use social media because it can be a tremendous resource, an awesome tool, as long as we avoid the trap of comparing ourselves to everybody we see online. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think I I, I like your own perspective on this. I I saw your TED talk and while I was watching it, you you give some interesting points about just the basic neuroscience of... um, depression and mental health issues. If you just want to highlight some of these things here so you could, you know, just give us just the basic neuroscience about the brain and how it adapts to these things around depression and, 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 and mental health issues. Yeah. Uh, so the weird thing about the brain is that it likes patterns and it always wants to save energy. So your brain is actually kind of lazy. I mean, your whole body is lazy, really. It's always trying to do things super efficiently so that you can save calories, you can save that energy for something else if you need it. So brain will always default to the easiest thought to think, the one that will require the least amount of work. Problem that creates is that your brain is always rewiring itself to make these thoughts easier to think. Whatever thought was easier to think yesterday, your brain is going to move some uh, synapses around to make that thought even easier to think today as it builds on momentum. So that's great in some cases if the thought that you're thinking every day is a positive one and it is bringing fruit to your life and it is a healthy coping strategy, but it can have an equally negative effect if the thought you think every day is I'm not enough or I don't look good or I will never achieve what I want to achieve or people don't like me. And these thoughts, a lot of them are automatic. They're not thoughts that we're trying to think. So really, Cope Notes was designed to interrupt those negative thought patterns that are playing in the back of our brain 24-7. 
and provide a catalyst for positive thought. And the goal there, um, I can't, you can't see my hands right now, but I'm using them to, to show you, but basically just picture, I'm holding up two fingers and, um, these are synapses in your brain. And the more often you think a thought, the closer they grow to each other, the less often you think it, the further apart they have a chance to grow. And Cope Notes wants to pry apart those synapses associated with negative thought by interrupting that thought pattern over and over again. And instead, we are providing a catalyst for positive thoughts so that those synapses can grow closer together over time. So your brain, you got to think about it. It's like, it's a living, breathing thing. Your brain is constantly changing itself, rewiring itself around the clock. But you do have a say in which thoughts are reinforced and which thoughts gain momentum. And that's really where I camp out. Yeah, I, I, that was really interesting. And, and um, for uh, yeah, something I heard also in the talk, because I think that's, that's a picture you also painted now about neurons that fire together, wire together. And I, I think you painted that picture very clearly now. And well, I, I've tried to because... While I was thinking, I was thinking about meditation and uh, and what you do with cope notes. And, you know, basically you are trying to help people. What, what do you think is the role of meditation in, you know, for people who are suffering to, with this kind of issue? Do you think meditation plays a big role or is it just something that might be a temporary fix and just doesn't really have much effect? So... I am going to be honest and choose not to speak out of turn because I don't know a ton about meditation firsthand. Um, I know that there's there, from what I understand, there's a fair amount of uh, research out there that shows that meditation can be beneficial to people. I, uh, it's not something that I employ. I've tried it in the past and it just wasn't a good fit for me. However, I know a lot of people who swear by it. So um, I'm actually just going to, sort of step aside and say, you know, if it works for you, that's awesome. If you haven't tried it, definitely give it a shot. Uh, but I can't really speak to its efficacy because that's not really my area of expertise. Yeah, sure. Good. And well, what do you think, dude? Because I, I think Copnote sends you a text once per day. And do you think that's also a temporary fix? Because, I mean, you have 24 hours in a day and... <laughs> A lot of things could happen in just a minute. Do you think how, because I, I, I've tried to think about how, how it could play out. Like, what are some of the best reviews you've gotten? Because I'm trying to think whether, whether, how useful, how, how, how more useful this, how coconuts have been to people in society. Yeah. One, one thing I'll say about the temporary fix idea, and you bring up a great point. Um, it's kind of like saying, well, uh, doing 20 push-ups today is just a temporary fix. And if you do 20 push-ups tomorrow, that's a temporary fix. But if you do 20 push-ups a day for six months, all of a sudden you're stronger. So it doesn't seem like such a temporary fix. And the, the biggest difference there is consistency. So if you do one thing one time, I think that's definitely, you know, it's the difference between, um, you know, meditating one time to use your example of meditation. If you meditate one time, that might be a temporary fix. But if you establish a practice of meditation where you are consistently engaging in that, um, that's not a temporary fix. You're actually changing yourself. You're changing your brain. You're changing your mind and making yourself stronger and more resilient. So, um, yeah, I think 
if you look at anything in a vacuum, it can definitely feel like a temporary fix. But if you do that quote temporary fix over the course of months or years, you you change who you are for the better. So, terms of reviews, um, we've heard some amazing stories on our website. Um, if someone is listening, you guys can go to copenotes.com and right in the top. Uh, the main navigation, there's a button that says reviews and you can hit that and read through some of these stories. But um, we've heard tremendous stories. We've heard um, people divorcing an abusive partner. We've heard of people uh, checking into rehab. We've heard of people calling 911 um, just moments before attempting to take their own life. Then all of these things that people have, the decisions that people have made, whether they're moving to a new country or starting a new job or these huge life changes that people have made, um, even getting sober, we've seen that happen because of a single text message that was delivered. It was the right message at the right time. And we use artificial randomization to send these messages. So we never know who, you know, everyone has their own unique text sequence. So if you signed up today and a listener signed up today, uh, you guys would receive different messages at different times on different days. It's totally unique. So the fact that these messages came in at the right time and said the right thing just shows that the brain's ability to interpret is really powerful. Yeah. I, I find that really interesting though, because, um, oh, who, who, who are the people you said who, um, collect these messages and write them? So uh, all of the messages are written by peers with lived experience. So mm. I've written a lot of them myself, but they're all written by people who have firsthand experience with loss or mental health concerns or grief or, or any of these things that we address in our messages. So, they're all written by someone who actually understands and they're writing a message that would have helped them in that scenario. It's not someone trying to imagine what it would be like to be anxious. It's people who have struggled with anxiety and found ways to deal with it. And and the same is true across the board for all of our other content. Yeah. Well, what do you think though is like one of the biggest moral dilemmas your country's facing right now? What was just this one big problem you think, you know, that is just affecting so much people right now in your own country? Uh, if anyone knows anything about America, there's a hundred different problems right now. Um, <laughs> but to stay on topic, I would say, um, to, yeah, to stay on topic and, and continue talking about mental health, I would say that um, there is a tremendous uptick in... Um, mental illness and suicide, unfortunately. So we're seeing really, really high rates of suicide. And um, a lot of people are disengaging in care. So instead of people you know, starting to experience mental and emotional health strain this year cool. and deciding to engage in treatment, we're seeing people um, actually, we're seeing those symptoms get worse and then people recoil and pulling out of treatment. And um, also our, our system of mental health care is uh, underfunded. It doesn't have a lot of money and there aren't a lot of people working in the field. So uh, some people might have to wait weeks or months to see a professional when they need help right now. So it definitely creates a challenge because in light of everything that's going on politically and socially, we're also seeing people unfortunately um, struggle with very, very serious mental health conditions 
without receiving any type of care at all. Yeah, what you said now is really interesting. And, you know, because me, myself, I think about the human condition and how people get to suffer a lot due to these issues. And, you know, I, I've tried to think about it in so many ways and try to, to, to see if I could, you know, just think about solutions. What do you do is one thing we could be doing as society, as people to help alleviate these problems. If we ever want to start, you know, at even just a small scale. I think the the easiest thing to do might be the hardest thing to do. And that is uh, talk about mental health with your friends and family members. Just like bring it up. If you see a friend who is um, maybe acting not like themselves or they're not being as social, or you have friends and they're acting just the same as they always have, I still think there's value in bringing it up because I think, you know, I have friends who I've known for 20 years and I've never talked about mental health with them. And that's not right. You know, you shouldn't have to be on a stage to talk about mental health. You shouldn't have to be on a podcast. Like you should bring up, genuinely ask the people in your life, how are you feeling? And if they say fine, or I'm feeling good, encourage them to elaborate and ask real questions and and seek real answers. And when you get stressed or when you get depressed or anxious or, or whatever it is, you have to bring it up to people around you. you have to share because without people feeling comfortable enough to talk about it, people are going to continue to suffer without the care they need because of the social stigma. So I would say eliminating stigma and alleviating that sort of social pressure we feel to be fine and normal by um, choosing to ask people how they feel and sharing uh, whether you feel good or you don't feel good, just being more open about that can make a huge difference culturally. If each of us did yeah. that to just a couple people in our lives, the entire world would change overnight. I'm not exaggerating at all. Yeah. And I, I, and I think that was really interesting you know, because as men, you know, we tend to suffer more from su- suicide rates and d- depression and just due to social stigma of of, you know, just, I, I think it's the stereotype of men being strong, being, um, um being strong and, and, and someone who doesn't show weakness. And, but I don't know. I still feel like because, you know, boys don't cry and all these things due to socialization. Uh, maybe we could start in small ways, like, 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 like what you just mentioned. But then I've, I've, I've tried to think about it because so, um, social conditioning just does this thing whereby even though we are educated enough to want to talk about these problems, we still find ourselves, you know, conforming to, to just the normal rules that we grew up, just the normal patterns of, of behavior that we grew up in. But how, how do you think we could start to kill off these shells of of enclosure that we've put on ourselves of not talking so much about these issues. I am a firm believer in the idea that strength comes from doing what might feel difficult. And so interesting how we will say, you know, someone is strong if they just stay the course and they don't waver and they don't tell anybody how they feel and they keep a strong upper lip and they just, they just power through it. But a lot of times it's actually more difficult to stop and tell somebody that you're struggling. 
And um, I heard this great example of uh, someone paddling in, uh, you know, let's say someone's kayaking. And if they're kayaking downstream and the stream is taking them somewhere they don't want to go, it's very easy to just keep paddling in the same direction. They see that they're about to fall off the waterfall, um, but they're paddling straight and everyone's like, wow, how fearless that person is paddling straight towards a waterfall. But the real hard thing to do, the thing that requires real strength is turning that kayak around and trying to paddle upstream away from the waterfall. And that's what I feel that, that, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve and sharing more about mental and emotional health, that's paddling upstream. It's choosing not to just allow the water to take you wherever it's going to take you. It's turning around and paddling against the current and using all of your strength to change where you end up. I, I genuinely, genuinely think that there are people listening right now who think that they're being strong by keeping their mouth shut and bottling it up. But I just want to tell them that true strength is letting your significant other know, talking to your parents or your friends about what's going on. That's what actually requires the strength that will save you. Yeah, I think you bring up really interesting points. And I, I just hope the listeners could pick up one or two things from here. What do you think, though? Because I know you must have thought about what we pass through as humans, what society entails, and just the human condition. But what do you think is the meaning of life? It's uh, a pretty deep question. Um, this is going to be a very non-exhaustive answer, but um, to contribute. I think we were put on this planet to... Um, integrate and support each other and engage in community. So when I look at my life, I think, how can I bring a ton of value to a ton of people, as much value as possible to as many people as possible and leave the world better than I found it? Yeah, that's pretty short and simple. I, I, <laughs> I just like to ask this question just to, at the end of the show, just to get people's opinion about what they think is the meaning of life. <laughs> I'll put you on the spotlight now for for just one minute. You just talk about anything you want to say to my audience, what you want them to know, and just anything at all. So you can go now. Yeah. One thing that I always like to point out whenever um, I do an interview is, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you think that I'm different from you somehow, you're you're wrong. <laughs> we are very, very similar people. There's nothing... Uh, particularly special about me. I was not chosen magically to uh, recover from mental health conditions. I still live with the conditions that I was diagnosed with. I just manage them better. And it's not because I'm smarter than anybody. It's not because I'm stronger than anybody. Um, it's just that I put time into it and I, I think that anyone listening to this call is just as equipped, just as capable, just as smart and strong, if not more so than me. So anytime I speak, I always want to clarify, this isn't a Johnny Crowder story where he's the one who overcame. No, we are all made up of the same atoms. We are all capable of living a healthier life and our lives will look different. But anyone listening can do exactly what I did or 30, 40, 50 times better than I did. 
And I just don't want people listening to exclude themselves and think that they can't do it and only certain people can. That's just not true. I know that you can. Uh, where, where, where do people find Cope Notes? Where do people, if you want people to, you know, reach out to you for any kind of talks or advice, where do you think people could find you online? Oh, if you, if you don't listen to anything else uh, that I say, you can just go to copenotes.com, C-O-P-E-N-O-T-E-S.com. There's a contact form on there if you need to get in touch with me. Um, and that's a really good way to, that's like a one-stop shop. There's the podcast link on there. We have some merchandise, obviously the subscriptions. And then if you want to find me on social media, um, on Instagram, I'm at Johnny Crowder loves you and, uh, Cope notes has social media. We're not super active, uh, on social media. So if you need to get in touch with me directly, I strongly encourage you to just go to the Cope notes website and fill out the contact form. Yeah, that's super interesting. I want to thank you for giving your time today to have a chat about this topic. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a topic that everybody could really benefit from. So thanks for coming on the show, Johnny. Appreciate you having me, brother. Thank you for listening to the end. Also, don't forget to check out CopeNotes at copenotes.com. Use code Hinted Neuron at checkout to get 10% off and also $5 goes to Hinted Neuron. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, don't forget to contact me on Instagram or Twitter at Hinted Neuron. That's it for me this week. And until then, stay curious.